Hi, this is Chris again with Nightfall Audiobooks. I have received a few requests for the Fear Street Sagas trilogy. This is it. I am finally doing it. I was apprehensive about starting this because of the impact it has on the Fear Street series. It is the story of Simon and Angelica Fear, and how the famous Fear Mansion burned down in Shadyside. It is the reason that Fear Street is cursed, and Shadyside is doomed. It is a sprawling epic of a story, and I want to do it justice. Another thing to keep in mind is the spelling of the names. There are two families in play here, the Goods, spelled G-O-O-D-E, and the Fears, spelled F-I-E-R. The spelling of Fear is important because that name is later changed to Fear, F-E-A-R, and since this is an audio translation, you aren't able to appreciate that distinction. The book does a good job of describing it, but I want you to be aware of it before we get started. I read this a lot when I was younger, but it's been about 20 years since I've read it. I don't remember all the details, so it will feel like a fresh book. I do what I always do, and I read through the book a bit, and I think I have the characters and their voices worked out. This is different from the Fear Street Saga series, which is another 16 books that extends the story the trilogy introduced. I was reading Arl Stein since I was around 10. I was already following Goosebumps, Fear Street, The Super Chillers, The Point Horror series, and I had the three main trilogies, which are this one, 99 Fear Street, and the Cataluna Chronicles. To add another series to the mix wasn't in the cards. I didn't get a real job until I was 18, so funds were a little limited for a while. Sure, I mowed lawns, fixed computers, and stuff like that for quick cash, but no reliable income. To support another R.L. Stein series was unthinkable. When I was 17 or 18, I began reading other authors too. So I began focusing on Christopher Pike, Mickey Zucker Reichardt, and Mark Anthony. I was done with R.L. Stein for the time being. I didn't give the Fear Street Saga series a chance, and I don't think I will ever cover it in this project. If you have been following me from the beginning, you'll know that I launched this project with the 99 Fear Street trilogy. I took a gamble on that because, one, I knew not everyone was as passionate about it as I was. Two, if people didn't like it, it would take the first quarter of the year to gain any kind of following. Three, I nearly burned out on it. I read those books back to back, and towards the end of book three, I was so tired of saying Callie and Cody that I almost didn't want to finish. The lesson I learned was to spread a trilogy out and not focus on it completely until it's finished. I am beginning the Fear Street Sagas trilogy, but don't expect the second and third books to come out in rapid succession after this one. I will release the first book, take a break, then release the second book, and so on. I don't want to burn out on it, and I don't want to tie up another quarter of a year releasing a long story. Don't worry, I will finish this trilogy, and I will finish the rest of Fear Street, the Super Chillers, the Point Horror stuff, and the Cataluna Chronicles. I don't know when I will do all of that, but I am actively working around 20 hours a week on material for this project. What should I do next? Please let me know. Either shoot me an email at nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com, or on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. I love reading your comments. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to me tell you stories from Fear Street. Welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Fear Street Sagas, Book 1, The Betrayal, by R.L. Stein. Prologue Village of Shadyside, 1900 the fire roared like thunder, above the choking clouds of black smoke, 
The night sky brightened with a wash of angry scarlet. The flames tossed and crashed like ocean waves, rolling over the blackened mansion, pouring out every window, sweeping up the walls and over the roof until the house was nothing more than the dark core of a raging fireball. Staring down at the fire from the low hill that overlooked the wide lawn, Nora Good pressed her hands over her ears, but even with the fire's roar muffled, she could hear the screams. The screams of those trapped inside the blazing Fear Mansion. The screams of everyone she knew, of everyone she loved. Daniel, come out, Nora cried, her small voice buried under the avalanche of terrified shrieks, anguished moans, and the unending roar of the spreading flames. Daniel, I'm here. I'm alive. I ran out, Nora shouted. Where are you? Are you coming out too? The flames roared louder, as if to answer her. Nora's entire body trembled in dread. She lowered one hand to the amulet on a chain around her neck. The fire had already blazed for more than an hour. Daniel wasn't coming out. No one was coming out. Only minutes after the fire had begun, the Shadyside volunteer firefighters had pulled their horse-drawn water truck onto the lawn of the mansion, but the flames had already swallowed up the entire house. Their faces revealing horror and awe, the firefighters stood by helplessly and watched with the other townspeople who had gathered on a low hill, huddling in small groups, their faces red in the light of the flickering blaze. You're not coming out, are you, Daniel? Nora said. I'll never see you again. She shut her eyes. But even with her eyes closed, she could still see the angry red and orange flames tossing across the inside of her eyelids. Squeezing the small round pendant tightly, Nora sighed. This silver amulet with its sparkling blue jewels held in place by a silver three-toed claw, like those on a tiny bird's foot, had been given to her by Daniel Fear as a token of his love. It is all that I have left of you, Daniel, Nora wailed. Voices rose around her, close by, louder than the thunder of the flames. Nora opened her eyes and turned her gaze on the horrified faces of the people from the village. They clung together, as if frightened for their own lives. The fire will burn forever, a bearded man cried, his face scarlet, the flames reflected in his eyes. Look at the house, a frail woman a few feet from Nora cried, pointing. It is covered with flames, but it does not burn. It looks as if the sky is on fire, screamed a little girl, hiding her face in her mother's dark skirt. I always knew this place was evil, the bearded man declared, shielding his eyes with one hand. I always knew the fears would come to no good. They burned up inside their house, someone said. May their evil perish with them, another person added. The firemen did not even try to put it out. They could not put out this fire. It is not an ordinary fire. It is not a fire from this world. The evil of this house feeds the fire. The house is cursed. The ground is cursed. No, please, stop it, stop it, Nora shrieked. Unable to shut out their voices, she began running toward the house. Her cloak flapped behind her as she stumbled down the hill and over the lawn. Slipping on the dew-wet grass, she could feel the heat of the fire on her face. Strange shadows flickered over the lawn, black against the reflective scarlet light. Daniel, why is her family so cursed? Nora cried as she ran. What kind of evil brought you and your family to this fiery end? Nora's long, dark hair floated wildly above the flapping cloak. As she ran, she held out her arms as if ready to embrace the flames. Who is that? Where is she going? Somebody stop her! 
a large voices rang out from the crowd. Panting loudly, Nora raised an arm to shield her eyes as she ran. She could feel the precious silver amulet bobbing against her throat. Daniel, are you in there? Daniel? Somebody stop her! Has she gone mad? Who is she? Is she a fear? The voices finally faded, drowned out by the crackle and roar of the blinding red-orange blaze. It's so hot, so hot, Nora thought. She loosened the cloak and let it fall. It feels as if I am running into the sun. Now I feel as if I am on fire, too. She stopped, choking on the hot smoke. Where am I? She gazed into the flames and suddenly realized she was standing in front of a window. The window of the grand ballroom. The tossing flames made the window glow. Oh! Nora moaned in horror as the faces inside came into view. Faces among the flames. Nora's breath caught in her throat as she stared through the window at the wriggling dark bodies. Are they dancing in there? Dancing with the flames? No. Their faces were twisted in agony, their dark bodies writhing in pain. She saw screaming women, flames rolling up from their hair. She saw the tortured faces of young men, dark holes where their eyes should have been, their clothing wrapped in fire. Who are these people? Nora wondered, unable to turn her eyes from the ghastly nightmare inside the house. Why are they in the ballroom? Why aren't they consumed by the flames? Why don't they die? And then Nora's eyes focused on a figure in the center of the writhing, screaming crowd. A young girl, wearing a long maroon dress and an old-fashioned cap. Nora gasped as the girl raised her head and their eyes met. The girl's eyes were eggshell white, glowing white. As Nora gaped in horror, she saw the girl's mouth open wide into a tortured scream. A scream of rage, of unbearable pain. Then Nora noticed that the girl's hands were tied behind her, tied to a tall wooden pole. The girl was tied to a stake. And now her dress was billowing with fire, and the flames were rising up to her face, up to her long blonde hair. The cap burst into flame then. Struggling against the stake, the girl shrieked as she burned. Then, with a low explosion, the flames hid them all behind a rippling yellow curtain. The window burst, glass shattering and flying out. The fire's roar tumbled over her, and still Nora stood motionless, staring where the screaming girl had been, staring into the wall of flame, staring, staring into the bright, dancing horror. Part 1 Wickham Village, Massachusetts Colony, 1692 Chapter 1 The fire crackled softly. A loud pop sent up a shower of glowing red embers. Susanna Good uttered a cry of surprise and jumped back from the hearth. The embers died at her feet. After straightening the starched white apron she wore over her heavy dark maroon skirt, Susanna bent over the big kettle to lift the heavy lid and peer inside. Behind her, in the small boarding room, the baby started to cry. Susanna heard the floorboards creak as her mother made her way to the cradle to see what the problem was. Susanna! Martha Good's tone was scolding. You have wrapped George too tightly again. The poor baby can barely breathe. The blanket is too small. I had trouble covering him, Susanna complained, still bent over the kettle, a few long golden curls falling out of her bun and over her face. The blanket will have to do, her mother replied. It is the best we can afford. She lifted the squalling baby and held him up to her face. Poor George, poor George. What did your sister do to you? Susanna sighed. These biscuits are taking so long to bake. Martha Good stepped up behind her. 
George's cries had softened to quiet whimpers as he lay his head against his mother's stiff white collar. The fire is too low, her mother said, shaking her head disapprovingly. You cannot bake in these dying embers. Put more wood on, Susanna. Frowning, Susanna straightened up and tossed the locks of escaped hair behind the white collar that covered the shoulders of her dress. We need firewood. Susanna was tall and thin. She had sparkling blue eyes, creamy pale skin, and dimples in both cheeks when she smiled. Whenever Martha Good found Susanna gazing into the looking-glass or toying with her golden hair, she scolded her with the same words. True beauty comes from deeds, not appearance, daughter. As a Puritan, Susanna had been endlessly taught the virtue of modesty. She had been taught that all righteous people are beautiful and the same in the eyes of the Maker. She felt embarrassed whenever her mother caught her admiring herself, as if her mother had peered inside her soul and found it flawed and unworthy. But at sixteen, Susanna felt stirrings that excited her as much as they troubled her. She found herself thinking of a certain boy, daydreaming about him as she worked, and she couldn't help but wonder if she was pretty enough to win him over all the other girls in the village of Wickham. Martha Good held the baby and rocked him gently as she stared disapprovingly at the fire. Where is your father? He will want his biscuits on time, but he will not have them if he is not here. I believe he is at the commons, tending the cows, Susanna told her. Cows, her mother scoffed. Bags of bones, you mean. She lowered her gaze sadly to the baby she held. It is a wonder we survived, George. Susanna started toward the door. I will get the firewood and fetch father. I was going out for a walk anyway, Susanna insisted. Susanna, please, her mother said, fear clouding her eyes. You must stop taking solitary walks. You must not do anything, anything at all, to attract attention to yourself. She gazed intently at her pretty daughter. Then she added in a low whisper, You know the dangers. You know what is going on here. Yes, mother, Susanna replied impatiently. But I think I can go for a walk without... They took Abigail Hopping from her house last night and dragged her to the prison, her mother said softly. The poor woman's screams woke me. Susanna uttered a shocked gasp. Abigail Hopping, a witch? That's what Benjamin Fear says, Martha Good replied, swallowing hard. Benjamin accused Abigail of singing songs of the evil one as she prepared the evening meal. I cannot believe that Abigail Hopping is a witch, Susanna said, shaking her head. Has she confessed? Her trial is at the meeting house tonight, Martha Good said darkly. Oh, mother, will she burn like the others? Susanna cried, choking out the words. Her mother rocked the baby and didn't reply. There is so much evil about, daughter, she said finally. Three witches uncovered in our village by Benjamin Fierce since summer began. I beg you to be careful, Susanna. Stay in the shadows. Give no one reason to suspect you, or even to notice you. Susanna nodded. Yes, mother. I am only going to the commons for firewood. I shall be back quickly. She pushed open the door, causing a flood of bright sunlight to wash over the dark room. No! Stop! her mother cried. Halfway out the door, Susanna turned, her blue eyes flashing, an impatient frown on her face. Are you going out with your head uncovered? Martha Good demanded. Where are your thoughts, dear? I am sorry. Susanna returned to the room, took the white cap from its peg, and pulled it down over her hair. I will hurry back, she said. She closed the door behind her, and, shielding her eyes with one hand from the bright afternoon sunlight, made her way past the chickens pecking the dirt in front of the house. Susanna turned onto the path that led into the village. Walking quickly, her long skirt trailing over the dirt, she passed the Halsey's house. 
The glass for their windows hadn't yet arrived from England, Susanna saw. The windows were boarded up. Mr. Halsey was bent over his vegetable garden and didn't look up. At the meeting house, she saw someone up on the shingle roof working to attach a brass weather vane above the chimney. The village magistrate, Benjamin Fear, a troubled expression on his face, was just entering the building. Susanna stopped short and waited until he had disappeared inside. A cold shudder ran down her back as she thought of Abigail hopping. I know Benjamin Fear is a good and righteous man, Susanna thought, but I am afraid of him, just as everyone else in Wickham is. As village magistrate, Benjamin Fear was the most powerful man in Wickham. He was also the wealthiest. His home, the biggest in the village, stood across from the meeting house. The aroma of roasting beef wafted out from the summer kitchen as Susanna strode past. The fears are so prosperous, Susanna thought, unable to suppress a feeling of envy. They won't be having biscuits and gravy for their dinner. The fears can have roasted meat every night. Susanna knew that the Fear brothers, Benjamin and Matthew, were the most prosperous men at Wickham because they were the most worthy. Since she had been a little girl, she'd been taught that good fortune goes to those who are the most righteous. Thus, Benjamin Fear became magistrate because he was the wisest, most pious man in the village. It was he who conducted the witchcraft trials, and he who insisted the guilty ones be burned, rather than hanged as they were elsewhere in Massachusetts. Benjamin's younger brother Matthew had a farm that prospered when others failed, because Matthew Fear was more righteous and faithful than the other farmers. That was plain and simple knowledge. As she passed the meeting house and glanced toward the commons, Susanna found herself thinking about Benjamin's son, Edward Fear. Edward, where are you? Are you thinking about me? Oh, she cried as she stumbled over an enormous pink pig spotted with black and went sprawling onto the hard ground. The pig grunted a loud protest and scrambled off the path. Susanna picked herself up and brushed the dust off the front of her white apron. That will teach me not to have improper thoughts, she scolded herself, straightening her cap over her hair. But how can thoughts about Edward be improper? She saw her father at the end of the commons, the large rectangular pasture in the center of the village. He was busily raking a section of ground and didn't see Susanna wave to him. Mr. Franklin, the blacksmith, was at his anvil in front of his shop, pounding noisily on a sheet of tin as Susanna hurried past. She smiled at Franklin's apprentice, a boy named Arthur Kent, who was tending the bellows, which were nearly twice as big as he was. Behind the blacksmith's shop were the shimmering green woods. Tall poplars and beech trees leaned in toward the village. Behind these, the woods grew dark with pines, oaks, and maples. A village woodpile stood at the edge of the woods, logs neatly chopped and stacked. But Susanna's eyes were focused on the woods. Sunlight filtered down through the shimmering leaves, sending rays of light darting over the ground. Black and gold monarch butterflies fluttered in and out of the shafts of white light. I shall take a short walk into the woods, Susanna decided. It felt good to be out of the dark house, away from the heat of the cooking hearth, away from the crying baby, away from her chores and the watchful eyes of her mother, away from the heavy fear that hovered over the entire village these days. Susanna stepped into the woods, dry twigs cracking beneath her heavy black shoes. As soon as she was hidden by the trees, she pulled off her cap and shook her hair free. She walked slowly, raising her face to the shafts of bright sunlight. Her dress caught on a low bramble. She tugged it free and kept walking. A scrabbling sound nearby made her spin around, just in time to see a brown and white chipmunk scurry under a pile of dead leaves. Susanna tossed her long hair back and took a deep breath. The air smelled piney and sweet. 
I'm not supposed to enjoy the woods, she thought, her smile slowly fading. Susanna had been taught that the woods were a place of evil. As if mirroring her thoughts, the trees grew thicker, shutting out the sunlight. It became evening, dark. Away from civilization, deep in the woods, was where the evil one and his followers dwelt, Susanna had been taught. The witches of the village came here to dance their evil dances by moonlight with the evil one and his servants. The evil one and his servants lived deep in holes in the ground, hidden by scrub and thick shrubs. Susanna believed that if she wandered alone into the darkness of their domain, they might reach up and grab her and pull her down, down into their netherworld of eternal torture and darkness. The air grew colder. From a low branch, just above Susanna's head, a dove uttered a deep-throated moan, cold and sorrowful. Susanna shuddered. It is so dark, suddenly so cold, she said. Time to go back. As she turned, she felt strong hands grab her from behind. The evil one, she cried. Chapter 2 Let go of me, Susanna screamed. To her surprise, the hands obediently released her. She spun around, her blue eyes wide with fright, and stared into the laughing face of Edward Fear. Do I look like the evil one to you? he asked. Susanna felt her face redden. She glared angrily at him. Yes, you must be the evil one, she said. Why else would you be out in these woods? I followed you, he replied, his expression solemn. Edward was tall and good-looking. He wore a wide-brimmed black hat over his straight, dark brown hair, which fell below his ears. His gray doublet was made of the finest linen. The cuffs at the end of his sleeves were white and stiffly starched. His navy blue breeches ended just below the knee. Gray wool stockings covered his legs. On his feet were Dutch-style clogs fashioned of dark leather. No other young man in the village dressed as well as Edward. He seemed to take his clothing as seriously as he did everything else in life. In private, some villagers criticized his fancy dress, accusing him of the sin of pride. But no one dared criticize him in public, for Edward was a fear, Benjamin Fear's son, and no one would dare say a word against Magistrate Fear or his son. As the trees shuddered around them in a sudden cold breeze, Edward's dark brown eyes locked on Susanna's. We should not joke about the evil one, he said, lowering his voice. My father says the evil one's slaves have overrun our village. I I'm so afraid these days, Susanna confessed, lowering her gaze to the dark ground. I keep dreaming about Faith Warburton. She, she was my friend, Susanna stammered. I know, Edward muttered softly. They seized her as a witch, because she wore a red ribbon in her hair. Th they burned her. Susanna's words were cut short by a sob. Edward placed a hand on Susanna's trembling shoulder. I know that my father must have had proof of your friend's evil practices. He appears stern, but he is a fair and just man, Susanna. We should not be here together. We have to stop our secret meetings. They put me in great danger, Susanna said softly. You are in no danger, Edward replied. I wanted to talk to you, Susanna. I wanted to. Before Susanna could back away, Edward had his arms around her waist. He lowered his face to hers and kissed her. The hat tumbled off his head, and he pressed his lips against hers, urgently, hungrily. Susanna was breathless when she finally pulled free. You are suffocating me, she exclaimed, grinning at him. She raised a hand to his shoulder. What if the evil one is watching us, she teased. To her surprise, he pulled away from her touch. His dark eyes flared with anger. I told you, he warned, do not joke about the evil one. But, Edward, she began. His intensity always startled her. 
You know I cannot bear blasphemy, he interrupted in a low, steady voice. They had been meeting secretly for weeks, stealing moments behind the grain barn or behind trees at the river bank. Susanna had been surprised by Edward's seriousness, by his solemn attitude about most things. She liked to tease, but quickly learned he didn't share her sense of humor. Why did she care so much about him? Why did she think about him night and day? Why did she dream about being with him forever? Because he needed her. Because he seemed to feel as if she did. She gazed up at him coyly. Being here alone together in the woods, that is a crime against village custom, she said. What do you think your father would say? He picked up his hat from the ground, gripping it tightly in one hand. Being here with you, Susanna, is no crime. Why is that? she teased. He hesitated, gazing at her as if trying to see inside her head, to read her thoughts. Because we love each other, he said finally. And before she knew it, they were wrapped in each other's arms again. I want to stay here, Susanna thought happily. Stay here with Edward in the dark woods. Live in the wild together, just the two of us, away from the village, away from everyone. She pressed her cheek against his, surprised that his face was as hot as hers. A sudden noise made her cry out and pull away. Voices! Edward! Someone else is here, she cried, raising her hands to her cheeks in horror. We are caught! 